So uh, today's topic is about fatigue. Um, hopefully you're not too fatigued waiting for us to get this thing together. Uh, I, I have been talking a lot about fatigue lately. As a matter of fact, uh, we did a whole Dr. Oz show on fatigue this coming up here, I think on January 22nd. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of interesting 30 years ago or so, when I first started practice, we, I just treated a lot of fatigue. I think chronic fatigue was big. Uh, Epstein-Barr virus had just become popular. And we just saw a lot, a lot of fatigue. And then it sort of disappeared sort of over the years. And now it seems to be back in a, in a bigger way. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. And I want to talk about some of those reasons. And I think that the, probably the biggest reason is that this human body of ours has limited ability to handle stress. And when we are under stress, the brain uh, sends a message to our little, small, tiny adrenals, about that big, and they're not incredibly intelligent. They just take orders from the brain. And the brain says, I need energy and I need it right now. And the adrenals are then therefore forced to make energy that it may not exactly have. And, and what happens is the adrenals stimulate us to make energy. And what happens is we get all this energy, but it's for sure short-lived. It's survival, you know, chased by a bear, get up a tree kind of energy. And what goes up must come crashing down. And when it crashes down, you feel depleted. And then of course, if you have to engage in a level of activity, um, if you have to engage in a level of activity, um, then the the the, the, uh, the idea is that the nervous system has to get more energy and stimulate itself even further. And as a result of that, the problem the problem is is that that um, when you stimulate yourself to get the same energy level, we need a bigger, larger stimulant. And when you crash, we crash further, and therefore need another bigger stimulant to get up, and then we crash further. So the problems are is you become more and more and more depleted, and we require bigger and bigger and bigger stimulants to get ourselves out of that hole. The brain knows how to pull down that menu, which is dark chocolate and coffee and caffeine and stimulants and comfort foods and all types of energizing activities to stimulate ourselves to get that energy we don't need, and the problem is that it doesn't last. And as a result of that, the adrenals, the little tiny, not so brilliant adrenals, they tend to they go, okay, guys, I have a purchase order from the brain that says I need to make this much energy by like six o'clock. And the adrenals don't um, know how to do it themselves, so they borrow money. And the first place they go is your, your reproductive organs. Um, for women, it's uh, progesterone and testosterone are directly precursors to make cortisol and stress-fighting hormones. Um, so therefore, it depletes the sometimes the estrogen or the progesterone and the testosterone, leaving folks, men and women, with lack of libido, lack of sex drive, even infertility issues. Um, the, the holy grail of, of uh, uh, menopausal issues and treatment these days is to give women progesterone therapies. And of course, all we're really doing is giving back the progesterone that was actually robbed by the adrenals to pay off debt or to drive energy, which we actually didn't really have. So we want to think, okay, do I really want to go back and just 
take uh, hormonal support to pay back the progesterone or in the, the men's world these days, low T or low testosterone is a really big deal. And is it really the right thing to do for us to just inject with testosterone or inject with progesterone when the reason that those are possibly depleted is because of the excessive stress in one's life that have depleted the adrenals to make the adrenals make energy, which it absolutely doesn't have. And that is a problem. So we end up in a situation where the body starts to borrow more money. And the next place it goes to borrow money after it wreaks havoc on our reproductive function, it goes and starts to rob money from the blood sugar systems. And the blood sugar systems are, um, uh, you know, our, our tendency to crave sugar, candy, sweets, chocolate, you know, things like that to get energy that we don't really have. And this is really the high, low, you know, uh, roller coaster ride on steroids, really, because this is the probably the biggest epidemic in our country, maybe even the biggest epidemic around the world, is that we have lost the ability to maintain stable blood sugar. And as a result, when the blood sugar, as we run out of energy, the brain pulls down that menu and goes, sweets will give it to me, the energy I need, or caffeine, and boom, it goes up. And then when it comes crashing down, when it comes crashing down and the sugars become depleted, uh, lots of bad things happen. <clears throat> um, we produce more stress-fighting hormones, which we don't actually have, borrow more money, deplete the adrenals even further. And we also create some real damaging chemicals from the result of the, of the sugar levels themselves going up and down and going high and low. We are not really designed to have energy going from high to low, from high to low. We're designed to have stable energy, burn fat as a natural stable source of fuel, something we lost the ability to do in our particular culture. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the sugar itself, when it keeps going up and down, up and down and crashing, it does a bunch of stuff. Number one, uh, it, uh, it creates what are called uh, uh, a process called glycation. And glycation end products are when the sugar is going up and down, uh, uh, it damages the cells. And these glycation end, uh, end products are when the sugar in the blood gets a little bit high and it sticks to proteins in the blood. It clumps the blood, affects the flow of the blood, uh, through the arteries, capillaries, arterioles. It affects lymphatic drainage. The blood becomes too thick and they found as like a smoking gun and uh, glycation end products um, at these sites of cancers, the sites of Alzheimer's, sites of joint problems, arthritic problems, degenerative chronic diseases have these end glycation, these, these uh, glycation end products, uh, you know, at the sites of, these, of this degenerative process. So we know that not only is this, this free radical damage that we have as a result of stress that we all know about and talk about as free radicals and antioxidants, it's bad. Glycation is actually kind of the new killer and even more potent in terms of damage than, than free radical damage. So it's different and more powerful. Uh, when sugar goes up and down, up and down, up and down, it uses and, 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 and steals an enzyme from your brain called the insulin degrading enzyme. And that insulin degrading enzyme is designed to take um, to take uh, the insulin and make sure it's stable so the sugars don't go too high or too low in the brain. So it's an enzyme designed to make sure the brain gets just the right amount of sugar, not too much, not too little. And if that, uh, unfortunately, if we have a little bit of a high blood sugar for a long period of time, that insulin degrading enzyme is gonna be used to help maintain the sugar and it's gonna leave the plaque in the brain because its other job, which is its maybe in its major job, is to remove excess plaque from the brain. So if the insulin degrading enzyme is constantly dealing with sugar and it therefore can't do the plaque very well, we end up with a situation where we end up with a significant amount 
of potential uh, dementia and Alzheimer's as a result of plaque formation, as a result of sugars being a little bit high. And the research that was done last August in the New England Journal of Medicine showed that, that sugar levels that are just a little bit higher than normal, within the normal range, not a little bit higher, no, within the normal, a little higher than what we like to see, 70 to 85 milligrams per deciliter. If they're just in the low 90s, you have a significant increased risk of, of Alzheimer's as you age, where the normal range today is you're not even only says a word to you about sugar unless your numbers are over 100. So new research is showing that those numbers have to be a lot lower than we think they are. And that sugar up and down, up and down, up and down is number one cause of, the, of fatigue. Think about it. You can't just stimulate yourself and keep stimulating yourself and keep stimulating yourself with sugar and caffeine and expect this thing to run. It's going to get depleted. It's going to get exhausted. It's very important. The last place that the adrenals, our little crazy, not so brilliant adrenals go to get energy is from um, your thyroid gland. And the thyroid gland is a gland that drives metabolism. So the thyroid is then stimulated to make energy that we don't really have. And it can uh, overuse its reserves of things like selenium that convert T4 into T3 to make your thyroid hormone. It can use up a lot of your iodine, which is necessary to make the thyroid hormone in the first place. Uh, it can deplete a lot of the minerals and nutrients that we need to make thyroid hormone and leave the thyroid compromised. Not to mention that the thyroid gland is the number one most vulnerable organ in our body to toxicity fluorides, chlorides, bromides, which are everywhere, and other toxins tend to be very, very uh, specific to the thyroid gland, and they create a lot of congestion in the thyroid and, and dysfunction in the thyroid gland. So, so the thyroid is that one gland that's extremely vulnerable to toxicity, and when you tie that together with a driving it to make energy it doesn't really have, it can create more problems in the thyroid. And who doesn't know someone with a thyroid problem? So we have an issue with thyroid issues that are very, very real and something that we have to look at as well. So the, the adrenals will borrow money from reproduction, cause problems there. So many times reproductive issues and libido issues and fertility issues are coming from stress that we borrow money from Peter to pay Paul, we never paid it back. Number two, your blood sugar has gone wacky, which is the epidemic on our, of, of the, our times, which is critical and really important for us to look at. And of course, thyroid issues, three really big issues, all of which directly relate to fatigue and exhaustion, which is very, very important. Now, not to mention that stress when we are under it and under the gun of it and impacted by it, we process that stress right through our intestinal tract, which is where all the microbes are. We know, as you know, if you've heard me talk, the microbes are the, 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 the million trillions of microbes do the heavy lifting for just about every single function in our body, immunity, mood, bone density, blood sugar support, uh, our ability to maintain stable mood and energy, all of which, and so many other things, are really, really related to our, our ability to, stable, to maintain stable microbiolo microbiology in our gut. We know that 95% of the serotonin is, is stored, manufactured in our intestinal tract, and, and that we're under a lot of stress. We, that stress takes out our ability to make neurotransmitters, to make us happy, give us mood, stability, and energy. It also takes out the microbes who actually make the neurotransmitters to give us the mood, stability, and the energy. So that isn't a pretty picture at all. And I don't think that we realize how directly related the stress that we're under is to our intestinal health, our digestive health. And then just simply put, the ability to digest food 
and then deliver energy from that food is just sort of you know fatigue 101. If you don't have the ability to digest your food well, you're not gonna be able to make that food into energy, which we need to help you actually fight fatigue. So I guess we're, we're uh, talking about a lot of the problems and reasons why we are fatigued, which is important, I think, for us to, to know about and for us to realize uh, it's important. But also, um, there are things we need to do to help, therefore, mitigate the number one cause of our fatigue, which is our stress. That is step one in this process. And how do we do that? Well, there's no doubt that, that meditating is a critically important, well-documented uh, you know, antidote to stress and support for our fatigue. There's studies that show that the, that, uh, that the telomeres, which are the little caps on our chromosomes, which decrease and shorten as we age, and when we're under stress, they accelerate their shortening degenerative process. And when you meditate, in one study, it showed that it increased the telomere length by 43% in one study and 30% in another. So we know that, these, that the body's ability to rejuvenate itself by stilling the mind, creating that internal calm, helps to antidote and mitigate the effects of stress. And how important is that? If you meditate and you know how to meditate, then please really consider it a requirement for optimal health. You know, in many of the reports now, you know, not meditating is becoming thought of as a risk factor for heart disease. In other words, smoking, not meditating is akin to actually the damage you would get from smoking. So very, very important thing. And it doesn't matter if you're, what type of meditation that you use, it could be Christian meditation or Buddhist meditation, or doesn't matter, as long as you learn how to still your mind. If you don't know how to still your mind, I did write a course called the Transformational Awareness Technique, which is six meditations. We have two of them for free. You can watch uh, to make sure every single person learns how to slowly, systematically still their nervous system, their mind, so they can learn how what it's like to actually be still. Check that out on my website. It's free to check it out and then go from there. If you like it, you can take on the whole course, a six-week course. Really powerful for lots of other reasons as well, but I'm going to try to stay focused on fatigue. The other thing that is important from a fatigue point of view is um, something that I like to call, which is actually not just me calling it, it's something that's actually called a nature deficiency disorder. We have lost our connection to nature. Um, you know, hunter-gatherers, our ancient human ancestors, our, our, our genetics are not designed to be racing around in cities going 90 miles an hour, working 90 hours a week on a phone, all these different things that happen to us in our nervous system are overwhelming us. I just wrote an article on the, the, the impact of cell phone radiation, which is extremely controversial, but there's enough, plenty of evidence to us to read between the lines and think that this is an impact on our nervous system. And it's something that is even the Department of Interior has actually accused the, the, uh, the FCC who regulates uh, uh, cell phone tower emissions uh, for actually not actually controlling and regulating the emissions the way they should. And in one study put out by the Wall Street Journal, 30,000 of the tower, cell phone towers are actually putting out emissions way more than the legal limits. And they're affecting the Department of Interior is saying that this is actually affecting the health of the animals. A lot of them are endangered animals that are not able to, uh, to do well 
with this radio emission. So sort of interesting, lots of you know, um, uh, research on both sides of the aisle there, but there's no doubt that we are exposed to a lot of unnatural phenomena that we lack. And our genetics were designed to connect with the rhythms of the earth, connect with the rhythms of the cycles of nature, and how important is it for us to do that. And one of the simple things that you can do for yourself in that regard, if you do have fatigue, is make an effort on the weekends to get yourself into nature and go out and go snowshoeing or go for a hike or go for a walk and go into the wilderness and just be there. And then when you come out of the wilderness and see how much different and rejuvenated you feel, Big believer when you're there, breathe through your nose while you're walking and hiking so you can get more prana circulated. It's a huge factor. So it's so tough that I've written about in my Body, Mind, Sport book. Really important, but not, I don't want to get too sidetracked there as well. But those are simple things to do. And in Ayurveda, they say that when you actually go for a walk and you're in nature, it actually builds ojas. Ojas literally is a word that means vitality. It's actually what the word means. And ojas in Ayurveda is the most refined aspect of digestion. So when you eat your food, you know, we eat our food, you know, and then, you know, you eat some beets and a day later you see it in the toilet. Well, in Ayurveda, they say if you eat food, it takes 30 days for that process to be completed. And the final, final product is a substance called ojas, which is the most refined aspect of digestion. And it's the, is the source of our energy, our vitality, our skin radiance, our health, our energy, and it's really important stuff. And there are foods and herbs that build ojas, and there are lifestyles that build ojas. And one of the lifestyles that you build ojas are giving, loving, caring, being kind, taking care of other people. There's a hormone in our body called dopamine, and there's a hormone in our body called oxytocin. Dopamine, as you all know, <clears throat> um, is the hormone that you get stimulate when you, uh, you know, skydive or when you stimulate yourself in an extreme uh, way. Uh, it's stimulated by coffee, by shopping, by driving, by new cars, by new things, by buying, by all these stimulants we have that stimulate us to get happy when something is you know, good happening to us. We get energized from that. But of course, when the stimulant is gone or we become used to shopping, there's nothing else to buy, we become depressed and exhausted. So we become addicted to the dopamine rush. And of course, the problem is, is that the more you stimulate dopamine, the bigger dopamine stimulant you need to get the same rush. So therefore, you need a bigger stimulant. So we got to now jump off bigger buildings or skydive off of crazier places. And, and we, we have a, a culture going into more extreme behavior, making more money, working 90, 100 hours a week to, to get some return on investment. It's a, a little bit part of this loss of this nature deficiency disorder where just being still in nature has a value, has a rejuvenative value that's really critically important. And, our, and, and new studies are beginning to support that. We know that our microbes, which we make up 90% of the cells in the human body, they thrive in an environment where peacefulness and calmness and love and joy and happiness, and they do terribly and they disappear with good ones. The good guys disappear when we're under huge amounts of stress. We know that our good bugs don't thrive in a stressful, violent environment. Now, you would think, well, hunter-gatherers were, you know, very violent. Well, not exactly. They might have been chased by a lion, you know, once a week, once a month. Uh, it wasn't like every day. Now, every single day, we're watching this, you know, people's getting their heads chopped off on TV or in work. We're stressed out here and there. We have pushed ourselves beyond the limits, and we don't recharge our battery with this connection 
back to nature, which is Ayurvedic's blueprint for optimal health and vitality is to make sure that we do that. So OJAS is the vitality. Get yourself into nature. Go reconnect with that. It's very, very important. There are foods that build OJAS up. Um, um, milk, uh, really good old-fashioned milk, uh, is an OJAS builder. doesn't mean to mean you have to drink milk every day of your life. It's not a, a requirement for optimal health, but whole well, non-pasteurized or vat pasteurized milk, non-homogenized milk, organic, actually is a medicine in Ayurveda. doesn't mean it's a food. It's a medicine. Um, and if you put hot milk with, with uh, ghee and raw honey and, and dates and cardamom and saffron, which has been shown to support mood and energy in many, many studies, um, these are all the OGIS builders, coconut, uh, dates, you mix it in, stir it in with some hot milk, and you put that in and drink it. We have a drink called the OGIS Nightly Tonic. You drink that, and you can drink it in the morning and night. Powerful way to rebuild OGIS. Remember, be outside, connect up with nature. That's uh, also important. Meditating, another way to rebuild yourself with OGIS, very important. Herbs like ashwagandha, ashwagandha means the strength or sweat of 10 horses, is one of the most powerful adaptogenic OGIS building herbs on the planet. It's one of the herbs that you can take. So when you take ashwagandha, if your cortisol levels are high or super stressed out, it'll lower your cortisol. If your cortisol levels are low and you're completely depleted, it'll raise your levels of cortisol. That's what an, what an intelligent adaptogen like ashwagandha can do. It's pretty amazing stuff, quite phenomenal herb. In fact, harvested in the fall for winter eating, they would throw it in the soups and the stews. It's winter, this is a time, this is ashwagandha season for sure. And make sure if you're feeling tired and exhausted, we're talking about the strength or strength or sweat of 10 horses. It's a powerful adaptogen. I used to give it when I was with the New Jersey Nets for two years. The, all the players got ashwagandha before and after every game uh, to keep their nervous system and their energy and their physical body you know, strong and give them the endurance and the stamina that they needed for an 82-game season, which was long uh, in the NBA. Um, so that was, that was a powerful herb. Another herb that builds OGIS is called Shatavari. means a woman with 100 husbands, a powerful reproductive tonic to pay back that debt that women may have incurred by being under huge amounts of stress. And of course, if you're not having a baby or thinking about it, the, the adrenals will go to the, the reproductive hormones and borrow the progesterone and the testosterone and leave those reserves depleted. And ashwagandha and, and Shatavari will pay back a lot of that exhaustive debt. So those are two herbs that are that are extremely, extremely valuable. Another thing that's really important from the point of view of being um, uh, beating fatigue is reconnecting our, ourselves to the cycles of nature, uh, um, living in harmony with the natural cycles. I've written a lot and talk a lot about eating you know, with the daily cycles of the day, waking up in the morning, we call it the kapha time of the day, be physically active, do a little, and if you're too tired, you know, even just go for a walk or walk your dog or do a, a few jumping jacks or something just to get your body moving. Move your body a little bit the best you can in the morning, best time to do that. Um, middle of the day, best time to eat your meals when the digestion is in fact stronger. So get your food eaten, your bigger meal, best meal, most nutritious meal of the day in the middle of the day. In the afternoon, the brain comes in and goes, I want 80% of the fuel. I want it between two and six in the afternoon. And then of course, if you didn't have enough for lunch or you had a little salad in front of your computer, then the blood sugar will crash in the afternoon and you're gonna crave dark chocolate or stimulants or coffee or Coke or things like that. 
And of course, the, and then off you go on the roller coaster ride again. Every time you crave something, you're borrowing money. Every time you do that again and again and again, you're going further and further into debt, driving your exhaustion into a more chronic state. Not good enough for us to do that. Okay, so, so, so living your daily routine, and that also includes eating early at night, not late at night, because the body doesn't digest well late at night, and also going to bed early and waking up early and get your eight-ish hours of sleep per night. It's really, really important, probably the number one most important thing for your energy reserve and pay back the debt is to get to sleep. And also new studies are showing that the, one, of, one of the most important things is to actually get up at the exact time uh, in the morning and to go to bed at the same time in the morning because the body, as soon as you wake up, you're, at, you're actually sort of on borrowed time until you need to sleep again. And if you keep getting up at different times, then that can disturb your, your, your internal signals of sleepiness and tiredness and disturb how you can actually get to sleep and stay asleep. It's very important. Um, so your regular hours of bedtime, regular hours of waking up, regular hours of eating at the right time, exercising at the right time, all of these things make sense. For a quick example, go to bed tonight at midnight, wake up tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Now, if you're not a teenager, you're probably gonna tell me, and if I asked you how you would feel, you would probably say, I would feel too tired and feel like I slept too much and stiff and lethargic. Teenagers, it's a whole different chemistry. We gotta check their DNA for that. And, but if you were then asked the same person the next night, let's say you went to bed um, the next night at um, eight o'clock and you went and you woke up the next morning at six o'clock, how would you feel in comparison? And most folks will say that they feel much better if they went to bed at eight o'clock and woke up the next morning at six o'clock. And the difference is um, that they were both 10 hours of sleep. The only difference was when you got to sleep. When you connect to the cycles makes a huge difference. When you eat, when you exercise, when you sleep, all that pays, pays important, important dividends for rebuilding and getting yourself back into the rhythms of nature so your boat is going downstream with the current. I can't emphasize that enough. Most of us are plowing upstream against the grain, feeling exhausted at the end of every day. How many of you feel exhausted at the end of your day? How many feel like life is a struggle? How would you like to finish your day with the same energy you started? That's what we're talking about here, how to live in harmony with the natural cycles. And that's what one of all this is about, rebuilding your reserves, pay back the debt so your brain has an awareness that, oh, I am pushing against the grain here. I can do better by going downstream, by you know, making choices of when I eat, how I eat, what I eat, when I sleep, when I exercise. All these things make a lot of sense. The other piece of the live with the cycle puzzle is the eating with the seasons. And as you probably know, we have this big one year, hopefully we'll do it forever, but I love it. Uh, eat with the seasons challenge, the three season diet challenge, which means we're gonna, we have already done, it started in January. Everybody gets a packet in January and February, March, every month is absolutely for free. And you get recipes from Emma Frisch from the Food Network, which is super awesome. People have already told me how much they love our recipes already with the January packet. All the research that I can think of about eating with the seasons, articles and videos that I've done about eating with the seasons are all packed in recipes in this January packet. The February packet's coming. And all you gotta do is go to my website, sign up for free. And we're gonna guide you to eat with the seasons uh, for an entire year. Why is that important? Well, for one thing, I could give a whole lecture, a whole three-hour lecture on this, so I'm going to make it really short. You may have heard this story. The deer in the nature, they have microbes that eat, uh, digest bark in the winter. They have microbes that digest leaves in the summer. If the deer were to eat bark in the summer, they wouldn't have the microbes to digest them, and because 
such a level of indigestion, it could actually kill the deer. That was a, a written, taken out of a book called The Forest Unseen and, and by a botanist who wrote that book. That's a powerful statement. If deer die when they eat out of season or potentially die when they eat out of season, what does that mean for us? We now know that our microbes are, des are designed to dramatically shift from one season to the next to the next. We know that the soil microbes change dramatically from one season to the next. We know that the bugs in the soil make up, in short order, 90% of us, our microbes, 90% of us, all those 90% of the cells in your human body came from the dirt. That's where we came from. The bugs attached to the, to the plants, they get carried into our body via the plants and they become the 90% of us. How crazy is that? And they change dramatically from one season to the next, to the next, to the next. And we are completely disconnected. We spray stuff on it to kill all the bugs, which we do. So they're not there. And we're just eating the plants with this biochemical nutrients, but no bio microbiological nutrition or intelligence that's all been lost. And I'm like, what if we change that? What if we all ate organic and started check eating more of the foods in season? What would happen to us for an entire year? So that's our mission is to guide people through this entire process for an entire year and see what happens. And I guarantee you, it'll provide energy you need in the winter, in the summer, in the spring. It'll provide the immunity you need in the winter, the ability to dissipate heat in the summer. It'll actually give you less congestion in the spring because, because that, that's what, that was the topic of my book, The Three Season Diet, which I wrote 15 years ago, which was all about um, the, the, the understanding of Ayurveda just from the foods and what they do for us each season, how important is that? Now we know that the microbe thing and how important that is, that is just off the charts important for us to understand. And that's why we're doing this challenge for a year for free for anybody, tell your friends. It's just, I'm just so excited about it. I want you to do it. And talk about fatigue. This is a powerful piece of the puzzle to reconnect with those natural cycles, very important. Okay, more on fatigue. Vitamin D, I can't go in, can't talk about fatigue without talking about the deficiency that we have in America with vitamin D. It's an 80% deficiency uh, with folks north of Atlanta. Vitamin D is a vitamin that protects us, protects our genes, 2,000 of our genes. It supports blood sugar, bone density, uh, 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 the health of our cardiovascular system, our mood, our energy, our vitality, and our immunity. And that is the absolute very, very short list of what vitamin D does for us. We have 87% of the American population deficient in vitamin D, and vitamin D levels are very important to optimize. The, op the optimal range, according to most of the real experts in this field, like the Vitamin D Council, so that our number should be between 50 and 80 nanograms per milliliter. Now, the abnormal range for 20 years was 20 to about 100. So all we're saying is we want to be on the higher end of the normal range. When that happens, vitamin D stops doing a vitamin thing, giving you protection from rickets, which it does when it's anywhere around 20 or 30. But if you go over 50, the studies show that the vitamin D actually becomes a hormone and protects you from bone, uh, from, from cardiovascular issues and certain types of cancers and I mean, the, 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 in, in your immunity and your vitality, and your energy, and for sure your fatigue. So if you are scraping the bottom of the barrel on vitamin D and we're trying to fight fatigue, it's not going to be successful. We have this major deficiency that's undermining our success. So, so make sure you get your vitamin D levels checked regularly. Make sure between 50 to 80 nanograms per milliliter. The average person in the wintertime needs about four to 5,000 international units a day of vitamin D in the winter to make that number happen, one to two to 3,000 in the summer. So Make sure that you've got that covered and make sure you have that understanding. Okay, now the, the last thing I wanna talk about, um, uh, one other, one other um, 
herb that I want to point you in the right direction of is an herb called Shilajit. It's in our formula called Regenerate. And the research on that for energy is so off the charts. It's an article, I think it's called, um, uh, uh, um, it's called Ancient Longevity Herb Rediscovered. And it's in my website, you can read about it. And it's about an herb called Shilajit. And mitochondria, as you probably know, are the parts inside the cell that make energy. And we can make more mitochondria, we can make bigger mitochondria, we can do cool things with our mitochondria. And uh, the shilajit has what's called fulvic acids, which are the acids that take the minerals into the cell, which is important. And it also has these diprenols that actually have been shown to rejuvenate and revive the mitochondria, that the nutrition that the, that the mitochondria need to make energy are actually derived from this, this, uh, this substance called shilajit, which is actually, it's an it's a exudate that oozes out of the rocks in the Himalayan mountains. It's a deep concentrated biomass with lots of fulvic acid. Stuff is amazing. And it's actually the only herb in all of Ayurveda that's called a panacea that has been used for thousands of years for just about everything. And hyperoxidates tissues, Sherpas in the Himalayas use and have been using and still use shilajit. And they eat that as they climb so they can smoke cigarettes at 20,000 feet and be okay. So it's a powerful, powerful herb. I used that also when I was with the New Jersey Nets to drive energy and oxygen into the cells of the athletes so they could stay, have the stamina they needed to, to, to support an 82 game season. So those are the herbs to know about some of the things and they're, and they're wonderful. And, 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 I, and you, can, you can look into that. The other thing that, that I wanna talk about for a couple of minutes is our inability to burn the fuel that is the energy fuel. We burn the fuel in our body that is the sugar, deplete yourself, borrow energy from reproduction and blood sugar and thyroid fuel, depletion, exhaust you fuel, stress you out fuel. Every time you crave something, you're triggering an adrenaline, emergency, disease producing, sugar producing, lymphatic congesting, exhaustive response. That's exactly the chemistry of craving stuff. So we don't wanna do that. Well, you only crave stuff when you're eating foods that give you short both bursts of energy, highs and lows of energy. But what if you actually ate the food, or burned the fuel that was stable, long lasting, and that just happens to be your fat. Now, this is not about weight loss. I mean, of course you burn fat, you lose weight. You balance your weight. You get the weight that you were designed to have. But more importantly, is that fat is a stable fuel, long lasting fuel, calm fuel, sleep through the night fuel, de-stress you fuel, low anxiety fuel mood stabilizing fuel, detoxifying the yucky stuff fuel, and of course it's the lose weight fuel. So we have to reset our ability to be good fat burners as a culture because our lack of ability to do that is what screws up our blood sugar, which screws up our adrenals, which takes the stress right through our gut, that takes our microbes out, that takes away the health of our entire body as well as our fatigue. So you know all the dots sort of connect in this way. So it's so important. And then and that that and the reason why we become lousy fat burners is because we're under so much stress, we're burning the stress fuel, the sugary fuel, and that's not good. So we have to we have to reboot our ability to be good fat burners. And and, and my favorite uh, way to do that is to give the body a reason to burn fat, right? So you have breakfast and then you have a snack and then lunch and a snack and then lunch and, 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 a, and a supper and a snack. You're gonna burn the meal and the snack and the meal and the snack and the meal and the snack. But what if you actually gave the body a breakfast and had nothing all the way to lunch? You would burn fat in between. If you had lunch and nothing all the way to supper, you'd burn fat in between. Now, if you had lunch, breakfast, let's say, and then you had a carrot and then lunch, 
care. It's not unhealthy for you. <clears throat> it's not bad for you. The only one little minor fact is that you didn't burn your fat that day between breakfast and lunch. You burned the carrot. You have lunch and then you had you know, an apple for, or some nuts in the afternoon for a snack and then supper. Nuts and apples are fine, no problem at all. They're very healthy for you, except for the fact that you, because you didn't eat, because you ate a little snack there, even though it was a healthy snack, you burned the nuts and the apple and you didn't burn your fat. So the idea by actually having breakfast to lunch, lunch to supper, supper all the way to breakfast and nothing in between, three meals, no snack, what it does is it forces you to burn fat. Now, to do that, a lot of you are like, oh my God, are you kidding me? I can't do that. It's impossible. I have to have my, my, my snacks, otherwise I can't make it. Um, that means you have to have a big lunch and a big breakfast and a big supper. You gotta make sure breakfast is big enough to get you to lunch and lunch big enough to get you to supper. And when you eat that food, you gotta relax because your microbes like you to eat in a calm way. So you gotta be calm and you gotta eat in a very calm, stable fashion. And when you do that, then you have a situation where you're actually calm, you're relaxing, you're giving your body a chance to digest it efficiently, get all the nutrition you need from that food very, very well. And then you can make energy from that food. Give your body a fighting chance to digest the food. In India and in lots of parts of the world, they would take a little rest and digest and a little siesta to give the digestive system a chance to digest the food in a complete fashion. So that's really important. So breakfast, nothing till lunch, lunch, nothing till supper, supper, nothing till bed. And we did a study on this based on my three season diet book back in the year 2000. And we measured we had 18 people in our study and they ate breakfast, lunch, supper, snack, no snacks, three meals a day. And, and of course they were freaking out because they didn't have their snacks. But after just two weeks, we measured their anxiety, depression, cravings, fatigue, insomnia, and weight loss. And they lost 1.2 pounds per week during the entire study for two months. And they were, and their weight, their anxiety, depression, cravings, fatigue, and exhaustion after work were all significantly improved. We measured fatigue in general and fatigue after work all significantly improved. So that, again, we have a well-documented pilot study, albeit very, very effective. And I, and I watched this clinically for years and years and years, get people off the snacks. They start burning fat as their source of fuel. They stop needing to eat little meals all day long. They get off the roller coaster ride. They burn their calm fuel, stable fuel, long-lasting fuel, and they feel better in their skin. So that is, you know, a, a, a very short list of some of the things that I think that are critically important for us to be good fat burners and something. And, and many of those things are so simple and many of us, um, we don't, don't do them, you know, getting outside, getting connecting with nature, meditating, simple things, you know, um, understanding how to eat your meals and connect with the cycles of nature. These are all things that are just so blatantly, really obvious when you look back at our history and our genetics and what they require for optimal health and maximal energy. All right, so that's that. Uh, I know I have some questions here that I'm gonna answer. Uh, thank you. And then I've got, then we're gonna go to, I've got some here that I wanna answer. Um, if, um, if sleep disorders are caused by neurological problems, can products still help them? I am referring to what I've been told. I have hyper insomnia. I do not sleep deeply. I have little uh, REM sleep and I feel deprived all day, super drowsy and needing to take stimulants or naps. What I would suggest, now of course, um, when we have a pathology, a real problem, it is important to be evaluated by your medical doctor and, and really make sure you understand completely you know, what Western medicine can offer you in terms of a treatment for your condition. There's no doubt about that, uh, whether it be sleep apnea or, or hyperinsomnia, 
These are things that you want to look at. However, that said, I would venture to say the things that I just finished talking about, deep levels of exhaustion, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, underlying imbalances are probably left unaddressed. And, we, and if we don't look at how your body got there and how we can unravel those conditions, we end up just chasing the symptoms with a drug or a pill or a powder and never really getting you back into the health levels that you need to get. So that's sort of what Ayurveda is about, is to treat the individual, not their condition, and really begin to understand that. I don't, under, I don't have enough information here to ask all those questions, but I would say, you know, yes, not that I say that I'm going to treat your disease or your condition. I'm going to treat the underlying factors that I feel are involved with you being out of balance. And that imbalance may cause how whatever it is that you have that you may be genetically predisposed to break down. You get five people under the same amount of stress, we all break down differently. So it's so it's not so we all have we have to look at by by understanding the individual tendencies, predispositions, the way we break down, how can we understand that? And that's what I would love to dig in here and look into that more deeply. I don't I can't get into that. However, there is a there is a classification of herbs called brain-derived neurotropic factors which are interesting, there's about four of them. And one of them is turmeric. And this is not Indian Ayurvedic research. This was Western research. And just so happens that four, well, we'll see, I forget now. Turmeric, bacopa, ashwagandha, and um, one other one, I think fish oils might be not. But anyway, I think three out of the four, the only ones I remember, of course, are the Ayurvedic ones. But turmeric, bacopa, and, and ashwagandha, all of them are Ayurvedic herbs that I use commonly every day. Brain-derived neurotropic factors, which means that they build neurological brain tissue. You know, when you were young and you were told if you drink alcohol, it kills brain cells, well now, and they can never be regrown. Well, now they actually know that there are certain chemicals in botanicals that actually rebuild brain tissue. And they're called brain-derived neurotropic factors. Three of them are actually, uh, and I think there's only four that I've seen, uh, are actually um, Ayurvedic herbs. Pretty cool. So those are the things that I would look at to rebuild that. All those are phenomenal herbs for energy and vitality and fatigue. And again, you need energy to sedate yourself so you can go to sleep at night. That's really, really important. Uh, hi, John. I heard a uh, little caffeine is good for people with predominantly kapha constitution. What do you think about that? Um, I think that um, that's interesting that kapha types are a little bit hypometabolic and a little caffeine might give them a little bit of a boost. You always have to be careful with caffeine because caffeine is the kind of thing that we become addicted to. And if you start using caffeine for energy that you don't actually have, then you need that caffeine to get up. And again, what goes up comes crashing down. Every time you, you need more caffeine to get up to the same level and you crash down further, that's the downside. So a little green tea possibly for a, for a kapha type or a little caffeine, I wouldn't have an issue with that per se. But when you start using caffeine for energy or, or you start becoming dependent on anything for, you know, for health, those are things that I become, I become cautious about. So a little caffeine here and there, not a problem, um, but a little caffeine to make energy that can become a problem. Um, I had a um, esophagastroectomy, uh, uh, which means that she got her part of her esophagus and stomach taken out due to some uh, esophageal cancer. I struggle with fatigue. 
I think it's because my digestion is compromised. Food no longer sits in my stomach. Everything dumps right into my small intestine as, as the stomach uh, was pulled up to replace part of the esophagus that was removed. There are herbs that are very important that I would suggest that are very important to have in the mix. One of them is a formula we call gentle digest, which is five Ayurvedic spices. And they are fennel, cardamom, coriander, cumin, and ginger. And those five spices, when you put them all together, they actually boost the ability for the stomach acid for the stomach to make digestive acid for the duodenal enzymes, the pancreatic enzymes in the bile to flow and be manufactured better and more efficiently. And they heal the skin of the upper digestive wall. And that would be in and we call it gentle digest because it's so gentle, anybody can take it, but the results are profound. And you take it right before your meal and it's so good for digestion. And for you, I would just think that would be such a great soothing agent to get as much out of your digestive processes as, as you possibly can. And these cells are smart. Your body is smart. It'll, these cells will re-educate to make what they need to get you to digest and deliver your energy you need. Your body will pull it off. These are very simple herbs. They're not extracts. They're just simple spices that will help your body re-educate and reboot faster so you can get the nutrition from your food that your body desires. Um, how would you uh, treat longstanding chronic fatigue syndrome? 52 years, a uh, 52 year old old woman was brought uh, um, from, had chronic fatigue from chemical exposure, candida, Epstein-Barr, stress, um, the currently on Ayurvedic diet for Vata and Pitta. Well, you know, we have someone who's got history of chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue. You've got to look at the individual. You have to run a fine tooth comb through the digestive process. You know, in all my videos, I put so much out about how to really look at the digestive process and the lymphatic system. Are, and what are you, are you not digesting wheat or dairy or greasy fried food? You really got to ask those kinds of questions to troubleshoot that look at the hormonal system, the stress levels, and, the, and how to reboot the body. There's not going to be one pill. Of course, the OGIS builders are going to be deep rejuvenative, and they're really easy to digest, which helps, but not necessarily going to be the final solution. You, you, when you have, you know, this might be one we, we might want to have a consultation with to really kind of dig into that and figure that out. Um, First step to break the vicious cycle of sugar, caffeine, and insomnia. How do you do that? Um, uh, well, you know, I, as you may know, and I've talked about this, I'm not a big believer of willpower. Uh, I'm a big believer of giving the body what it's what it really needs. Because when you're craving, you know, coffee, and caffeine, and um, sugar, um, you 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 tend to um, you're craving energy that you don't really have. And the other piece of this was insomnia. So if you're exhausted, you don't have the energy you need to sedate yourself and go to sleep at night. So of course you have insomnia. So we have to break the cycle by paying back the debt, rejuvenating the nervous system, giving the body the energy that it deeply lacks and doesn't have. And those are things like ashwagandha, herbs like that, brain-derived neurotropic factors like bacopa, uh, uh, Brahmi, another herb that I use a lot in that regard. The rejuvenate, the shilajit, so powerful for paying back deep, deep, exhaustive debt. I've used that for chronic fatigue for years to regenerate. The shilajit in there is so good for really, you know, if I had to pick one herb 
that what I would use for that real deep chronic, chronic fatigue syndrome is always going to be based around a platform of shilajit or the regenerate herb, which is very, very important. It has a little bit of ashwagandha in it too, to give it that ashwagandha boost as well. So those are the things that, that are important. Uh, help, I'm addicted to 85% dark chocolate. The first step is admitting you have a problem, as they say, good job, step one accomplished. Uh, I love it. That's great. It gives me energy and lifts my mood. Uh, I would love not to rely on it. You know, and here's the interesting thing about chocolate. There's very few studies that I've seen that have said that chocolate's bad for you other than the sugar content. When you get up to the higher, you know, percentage of dark chocolate, you're looking at, you know, anandamides and all these uh, endorphins, you know, the agents that are in chocolate that are phenomenally uplifting and good for your nervous system. And they create, they, they support all this benefit. But again, a lot of folks become dependent on that chocolate to get their mood up to feel good because they will stimulate dopamine. And that is a self-limiting hormone. You need the more, the more uh, you need more and more of that stimulant to get to that same level of high. So dark chocolate, again, I would not say that it's bad for you according to the research, which is so compelling, but I would say that anything that you need to have to feel good becomes a problem. And again, when you, when, and some of those herbs are in fact, or constituents in chocolate are stimulating and they're your endorphins and the euphorics that give you your sense of euphoria. So you want that and you need energy to get that. And of course you become, you know, sometimes depleted trying to accomplish that. And that depletion is deep, deep fatigue. So at the end of the day, we're probably talking about deep levels of fatigue that are setting you up for craving that and your brain pulls down the menu and it has its favorite thing to go to, to get out of that hole, which in your case is 85% dark chocolate. And that's something we want to pay back the debt. Again, rejuvenate the herb, the shilajit and the rejuvenate, ashwagandha, brain-derived neurotropic factors, bacopa, uh, brahmi. Um, the, these are all the herbs that I would be thinking of in my head, OGES builders, and of course, all the lifestyle things to, to give to meditation, you know, connecting with nature. These kinds of things are, are, seem crazy. And of course, as I mentioned briefly in the beginning, exercise, nasal breathing, exercise to breathe through your nose and drive more prana. I, I, we actually recently published all the research that we did on the nasal breathing research we did many, many years ago. All that research is now available. It's compelling about the benefit and the difference between mouth versus nose breathing in terms of handling stress without the wear and tear. That's the key. When you breathe through your nose, you do the same work with less effort. So you feel calm. I call it the eye of the hurricane effect. The bigger the calm, the more powerful the wind, the more calm you are in the midst of a stressful situation. So that's what we're, and that of course, and if you're dodging the refrigerators and the winds of the hurricane, you're gonna get exhausted if not beat up or crushed. But if you can be in the eye of the hurricane and be calm, then you're not getting beat up or exhausted in the process. And that's a powerful place to be. Uh, hope that makes sense. Um, I have a, a condition called ME, which is a kind of a multi-degenerative system where all the systems of the body break down. Uh, I wonder which treatments would use um, for severe noise intolerance and dehydration. Well, dehydration is one of the things that we do treat, we talk about a lot in Ayurveda, which is half your body weight in ounces of water per day, along with sipping pure plain hot water every 15 to 20 minutes for two weeks. The idea is if you pour hot water on leather, it would soften it over time. You put cold water on leather, it would just run off. 
but the, but the more we can rehydrate and soften the tissues with hot water, they bore deeply. The nutrition can, can, and waste can get in, can get out and, and nutrition can get in. And that's important. Um, in terms of severe noise intolerance, that has to do with a deficiency, a uh, lack of overall energy and vitality. And how important is that? Uh, that's so critically important when we're paying back the debt. You got to look for how you can pay back the debt. Um, uh, what can be done for severe iron deficiency anemia? Another great reason for fatigue is just to flat out get a blood test and, and find out if you actually are anemic. There are many different types of anemia, but if iron deficiency anemia, you want to look at iron, uh, you know, and best way to get iron actually is really making sure you get it from your food or a good iron supplement. Um, and um, the best quality supplements that I have found for, for mineral absorption is a company or a brand called Albion. It's the one that we use. And those are the one supplement company uh, or brand that sells to professionals who then sell them again. Um, that um, have the highest absorption rates of minerals that are published. And most companies don't even publish their absorption rates of minerals. But you want to get, you want to look for that company for the best absorption rate, plus looking for all the high iron content foods, spinach, beets, cooking with iron pots, raisins, things like that, uh, molasses. You really got to make that emphasis. And you also got to look at what is going on in your digestion that set you up for the inability to absorb those nutrients in the first place. That's the piece of the puzzle we never do. We just give the iron and let it go. You gotta go further than that and figure it out. Um, hi, John, uh, in your opinion, what do you think, um, all things considered, that is it, is it possible to cure reverse uh, Addison's disease, get off the drugs? Addison's disease when your adrenal are, uh, uh, hormones are high, stimulating, pushing, 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 pushing all the time. And, um, um, and that is um, not necessarily um, uh, a, a, that's a, a driving and an overstimulation of your, I'm sorry, that's the opposite. Um, it's when the, the, the adrenals are depleted and exhausted um, and, uh, and Cushing's diseases when they're up. But so it's again, the same exact thing, whether they're up too high or down too low. In one study with ashwagandha, what, like I said, that when the hormones are up, it brings them down. When they're low, it brings them up. And that's what we need is adaptogenic for building rejuvenative support. Now, a lot of times these, these types of conditions are caused by tumors in the adrenals or tumors in the pituitary that drive these hormones in an out-of-control way. And those are things that are very challenging and not, not typically treated with herbal medicine. That's why we have Western medicine, because it works so well in those conditions. Um, um, have you ever crossed, have you ever come across anyone who's, who's contracted an infection with being treated with a, like a fecal implant? You know, actually I have, other than people doing fecal implants on their own, which I don't recommend because people read about fecal implants and they actually just go do it themselves. Uh, I, I haven't read any studies or have enough clinical experience. It's such a new thing. It's really being done and only very you know, in clinical settings for certain conditions like C. diff and things like that. I don't think it's really become a major, a mainstream treatment as of yet. Um, okay, uh, I have adrenal fatigue. I have many of the symptoms of adrenal fatigue. I'm doing moderate exercise. I meditate daily. I feel like I might be missing some supplementation to help me with this. I also just returned with six days of a R&R uh, retreat, feel refreshed. What are your recommendations? Um, you know, you know, um, 
there's a couple of things, you know, a lot of people do everything right. They meditate, do everything, 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 but they're still revved up, still going 90 miles an hour, still pushing too hard, even though they're and doing all these good things in such an aggressive way that that can be fatiguing. It's sort of, I wrote an article a long time ago called the Royal Pace. And the Royal Pace is a pace where you're, if you were the queen of England, right? How would you handle a situation? So I gave all these examples like, okay, you're late for a meeting. How do you handle it? versus how does the Queen of England handle it? You wouldn't expect the Queen of England to be running down the hall, you know, you know, to go catch a cab or catch a car. You know, uh, you wouldn't see the Queen of England running back into her house, grabbing her cell phone because she forgot her cell phone or running back in the house trying to find her keys. Um, so we put all these sort of funny scenarios together between comparing what the Queen of England would do and how we would do it. And one being the royal pace and one being not. And the not is the stressed out version that we live and how we can not obviously I'll be the queen of England, but how we can begin to adopt a pace. Even sometimes we do good things in a frenetic pace that can debilitate us, deplete us, and actually cause more fatigue, even though we're doing good things. So be aware of, of the royal pace. Go back and read that article. It's a pretty funny article. Uh, I thought, anyway, uh, that would be good to read in this way. Um, um, uh, years ago, I saw an Indian MD. Uh, he said I was Vata. I tried a diet for that type. Didn't feel good. Any suggestions to get a better definition of who we are as individuals in the Ayurvedic diet? Well, first of all, from the Ayurvedic diet, you don't eat according to your body type. You eat according to the seasons, and you overlay on top of that your individual nature, your body type. So the first thing we all do, according to our three-season diet challenge, every single one of us eats with nature. That's how we got here. Then once you have that, you apply and overlay your sort of ethnicity, your individual Ayurvedic body type, which reflects to a certain extent your, your ethnicity. And then say, oh, I have a hot constitution or a cold constitution. So in the winter, if I'm cold, I better really make sure I get the warmer foods. In the summer, if I'm hot, I better get the cooling foods. So you emphasize according to the season, but you don't eat only according to your body type. That would be a terrible thing if you had a family of five, everybody was different body type, the poor mom or whoever's cooking, it would be a disaster. It doesn't work that way. We eat according to nature. That's what's been feeding us. That's what provides the microbes. That is in fact Ayurveda. Uh, Ayurveda has been modified, simplified to fit sort of this niche thing of everything according to your body type, but it's not the way it was traditionally practiced. It's sort of an Americana application of Ayurveda. So let me dig in here. And if you have any questions on the phone, please, please, please do uh, um, press star two and then, um, and then go from there. And, um, and uh, how do I get to, okay, here we go, good. So star two, if you have any questions, oh, there's some. All right, so I have some, I have somebody from New York City. Um, okay. There you are. Are you there? New York City, are you there? Was it Barbara? Anyone? Huh? I lost you. Okay. Okay, I'll go to another call. Okay, in San Rafael, California. Are you there? Yes. Yes, I hear you. There you go. Hello? Um, what is the product that you're suggesting have you tested it for decontamination from uh, India or Japan or uh, how, how is it grown? 
I'm sorry, I missed the first part. What kind of contamination are you talking about? Radiation? Uh, radiation or uh, chemicals in the soil, anything of that sort. Well, first of all, what is what is the product? I can't find it on the website now. I saw it this morning, but I can't. I don't see it now. The product for adrenal adrenal adduction. Um, well, I don't, there's the herb called Regenerate. Is that the one you're talking about? Yes, I guess it is. Uh-huh. So that's the one. You just, if you just go and type in Regenerate, either and go to the store and you can look at it there or on the website, there should be. There's, and the article, that, that article was called Ancient uh, Longevity Herbs Rediscovered was the research in the article about that one. Um, in terms of chemicals in the soil and chemicals, that's exactly why you want to use organic you know, as much as you possibly can. You know, we always think, you know, I, I, I want to eat organic because I don't want to eat poison. But more importantly is what the, or what the well, poisons and the pesticides have done to the microbes, which are the 90% of us. And that's something we don't talk about, why it's important to do organic, but that is a really important reason. Um, was there more to your question? Um, yes. Yeah, so is this the one called Regenerate? Yeah, Regenerate. It is, okay. Uh, she, she, uh, I didn't, I don't see the uh, herbs. Mm, oh, yes, I do. Okay. Chilibi extract was the one you were talking about before. Yeah. One of the ones you included. Okay, wonderful. Okay, good. If they've been tested, um, and I, I certainly believe you, if they've been tested, and, you know, you found all those products to be clean, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah, that's what you're asking. Okay, yeah, the herbs that we have are all, are all, are, are all tested. And um, they are all um, uh, um, manufactured in a GMP certified lab, which is a you know FDA certified approved lab. So we do absolutely follow all the standards. And and shiojit is the only herb that we carry in that line that actually is an extract, with all the other herbs. And that's because it's the only way it comes because it comes out of the ground as an extract, and it's, you can't get it otherwise. Um, uh, but um, the other herbs are all whole organic herbs, and that's really important. Okay, thank okay. you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. You bet. Um, another question um, from from San from San Jose, California. Are you there, San Jose? Yeah, this San Jose. Yep. 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 I'm here. Hey, um on the subject of nose breathing, I really appreciate all the research that you've done in that area. It's been, been a great help uh, to me since I read your book, um, Body, Mind, Force, a couple years ago. And um, does, uh, does nose breathing affect hematocrit levels? I don't know. Um, and, okay. Um, it, it has shown to be uh, very effective in, you know, cardiovascular uh, training um, and just overall energy levels um, when practiced, you know, 24-7. I, I would venture to say that the benefit is, is coming not, some for, not from like super hyper oxygenation of the blood, but better waste removal and better efficiency of getting the waste out. That's one of the benefits and the limiting factors to our exercise capacity is we don't get, that's the limiting factor to our overall health and longevity is we don't get rid of waste because we stink at that as we get older and breathing as we, as we are beginning to see in some really new uh, high profile public, re 
published research recently, is that our breathing is a waste removal, one of the major waste removal channels. We've been talking about that for years. And nasal breathing, you know, really absolutely um, uh, capitalizes on that. Well, you know, it's a good question. And, and, you know, when I first wrote the book back in, I don't even know when I wrote that book, 84 or 94, I think it came out. So a long time ago. Um, and uh, a lot of teams, I mean, professional cyclists and teams, when I worked with the Jersey Nest, half the team had already read my book, you know, so it, it already had hit. I went to the team and, and she trained them because they wanted me to teach them how to nasal breathe. So, you know, I think it, it, it is out there. And unfortunately, I thought, way back when that the no pain, no gain thing was sort of dead in the water, but boy, was I wrong. Um, and, and the extreme uh, sports and extreme, you know, the idea of getting juiced and stimulated by killing yourself and pushing yourself to extremes, you know, is, this pendulum has gone way, way too far. And I really believe that, and that's why I'm sort of revising body, mind, sport and putting the research out there and really getting on it again, because, because basically there's the same brainwave pattern that these elite athletes get when they base jump off of Mount Everest, which is really cool, but you know, your, your, your life is basically on the line. Um, you can get by nasal breathing, we prove that, and you can get that when you meditate. So I'm going like, why should I risk my life for 30 seconds of a thrill that a lot of elite athletes are seeking when you can get that by actually doing what we've been talking about and we've proved it 20 years ago or more, I don't know, but it was a while ago. So anyway, because um, that research was done in, in 1990, uh, 91, I think it was. So uh, I'm really getting psyched about that, and I use it and love it and uh, swear by it, and we have the research to prove it. So I'm, you know, help me put it out there. Yes, you bet. Um, is, there, is there a way to apply no treatment in a swimming environment? I'm sorry, you broke up there for a sec. What? Um, uh, you know, I have had lots of folks tell me that they can nasal breathe when they swim. I can't tell you how many emails I got. I figured it out. I have this breathing device and, they, and, and I have one person who's sending me a breathing device as we speak. Um, I swim every day, almost at least five, or six days a week I swim and, uh, I can't figure it out. Uh, so I can't help you there. I always say, learn how to breathe on land first and then work it out on water. <laughs> Hi, Too bad. Thank you. Take care. Uh, okay. Next question in um, Dita, Massachusetts. Are you there? Dita, Massachusetts. Are you there? Did I lose you in Dedham? Or D Hi, uh, I'm in Wellesley. Okay. Close enough. We'll take you. <laughs> Hi, John. Hi. I wanted to have an idea. Um, I have two children who are totally exhausted, 13 and 15. Yeah. And they can stay up late for homework. And I'm trying to come up with ways to feed them and nurture them. All right. Here's the thing. Well, here's the thing. You know, you, you kids are exhausted. And little kids, even littler, that they go on, you know, sleepovers and they're up all night. I, I, I'm a big believer. I give and always have give my kids ashwagandha in the morning. I give them vitamin D. 
and I give them a little bit of turmeric to protect them from any kind of infection. That's like the baseline support that I give them. If they have cell phones, do not let them sleep or with their cell phone anywhere near their head or their body. Turn it off, get it out of the room. That's really important as well. You know what I mean? So ashwagandha, vitamin D, and... And turmeric plus is the one that we use because that's got the, the, the black pepper in there that increased the absorption by 2,000%. So it makes sure that the turmeric gets into the blood and the brain and supports the nervous system. And the cool thing about turmeric is new research that came out about turmeric, which is like nobody even hardly even knows this, the turmeric actually supported mood support and actually like depression, anxiety by 64%. So it's just really, it's like we said, it's a brain derived neurotropic factor. It builds their brain tissue up. And, and of course, you know, if they're not meat eaters, you got to think B12 too. So you got to watch that for kids and their stamina. And I, I have a bottle of the B12 boost in my car and I, <laughs> I give them, to, I give that to my kids, you know, while they're driving home from school under their tongue, they suck on it. And it's, you know, it's, and it just a little, just making sure, cause that is an insidious deficiency that affects more than half the world's population. And, and you got to make sure that that's not happening as well. Okay. It's, well, I, the reason why I'm a little delayed is because I'm actually trying to make this, the milk with the ghee and the, um, uh, yeah. the ghee, the coconut, the dates, the, um, the raw honey. Is, will this help them, do you think, if I give them a little bit of this? You give them that before they go to bed at night, really powerful. Yeah, that's a great thing. You, give it to them, you can give it to them with a, with a capsule of ashwagandha. Now we're talking. That's, that's good medicine for them. to Just give them the okay. stamina that they need to, you know, to fight off teenagehood. I know, right? I know, right, exactly. <laughs> All right, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for the call. Okay, um, in Medford, Oregon, are you there? Oh, yeah, that must be me. Great. Do you have a recommendation for a hot drink that's an alternative to black tea with uh, honey in it? Yeah, um, you know the, 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 the rooibos? Yeah. The, the rooibos or the rooibos, however you want to say it. But the red rooibos tea is great. It's a non-caffeinated, tastes a little bit like black tea, um, works great. That's a good one. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the sort of celestial season makes one called roast aroma. They all make like a chicory one with chicory in it. And chicory is a great fiber content tea. It makes you, gives you a little bit of a bloated stomach, but that's just because your bugs are feeding on it. And, and bugs, when they feed, they make gas. I guess we do too, right? But they actually do. And they actually gas when you make in your belly is actually your bugs oftentimes doing a good thing, not always a bad thing. Weird, I know, but it's true. Uh, but the chicory is, is really good bug food, microbe food for your belly. So the chicory uh, is another source of teas that sort of have that sort of coffee you know, flavor. Ticino is another brand that's pretty good. You can look at that as well. And some of the chai teas that are, that are uh, done with rooibos tea are decaffeinated and they're good as well. Okay, well, thank you. You betcha. Uh, okay, in uh, Nassau, New York, are you there? Nassau? Um, in Nassau, New York? I think that's near the ocean. Anyone there? Nassau? Okay, I'll put you back on hold. Um, I think I got everybody. I'm going to go to the um, printed out questions here. Oh, in San Francisco, are you there? 
Hi, I um, recently tested very high levels of mercury in my system. Do you recommend circulation support for mercury? Yeah, I do actually. I have had really great results with it. I mean, it's some really well documented. We do blood tests before and after and seen some pretty amazing results. Usually take maybe <clears throat> start with three or four of those before you go to bed. Take three or four okay. of the, of the, you have to take the minerals in the morning too. So three or four of the okay. chelation support before you go to bed, three or four of the minerals in the morning. And then if you're feeling good with that and you want to, you know, get, you can pick it up a little faster. You can take another afternoon dose of, of the, uh, of the uh, chelation support and then take an extra amount of minerals in the morning. Okay. So however many chelation supports you take, um, you know, during the day, you take that many in minerals in the morning. Okay. Hopefully, it'll have the dry, heavy, really dry skin, probably, from that, also probably, right? You think? The, from the from the heavy metal toxicity. Yeah. Um, I don't know about that. Possibly, a lot of times there's a lot of just chronic weird pains. Do you have any of that? I'm just really tired. You know, it's yeah, that'll tired. yeah, that'll do it. Brain fog, things like that. Yeah, that brain fog. Well, you know, yeah, for dry skin, um, you want to, this is the winter, you know, so you got to have good quality vitamin D in mix, you know, the, the mega, mega fish oils, our enteric coated fish oil products, phenomenal, because you only need like two to get the, a day to get the, the required amount of omega-3, omega-6, uh, omega-3, DHA, EPA you need, and that feeds your skin directly, so it goes right from your mouth to your gut, to your blood, to your skin, so you feed those guys directly, that's important. And then doing the daily Ayurvedic massages with the Ibianga oils, those lymph massage oil or the, or the body butter, those are powerful. That's a good plan. Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for the call. Um, uh, let's see here. And one more from uh, Charlottesville. Uh, from Charlottesville. Hi. Hi. This is wonderful. While you were discussing uh, making the before bed drink, I've been terrified of dairy products for a long time. I got out some uh, good fresh buttermilk and I put in the, the other herbs and uh, I feel great. <laughs> so I'm calling about honey. Okay, yeah, good. That's another thing that, that uh, you were speaking about doing doing the, the diet which, which feeds on fat as a fuel and therefore not having any sugar or yeah. sweet or anything like that. Yeah. Honey obviously is sweet. It does does it um, break down into dextrose? Probably breaks down into different parts. I know it's got plenty of other things, good raw organic honey, um, that are very, very helpful to the body. So how would one, particularly if one leans towards kapha, um, well, I mean, I'll give you the, the Ayurvedic answer and I'll give you my answer as a mm -hmm. practitioner, blood sugar fanatic and beekeeper. Okay. So I'll give you a couple of different answers to that question. Um, one, uh, the Ayurvedic answer to that is that honey is great for kapha. It actually helps the body burn fat. Um, wow. uh, that's the Ayurvedic answer. Um, and of course it has to be raw and uncooked honey and that's important. Um, the kind of Western medical uh, answer to that is a little bit you know, controversial to the Ayurvedic answer, which is that you know, honey breaks down into fructose and fructose actually helps the body store fat. Um, 
So a um, little bit of a controversy there. I'll give you my answer as a practitioner, Ayurvedic, you know, putting it all together in my head, how I look at it. We have bees, I have honey, and I love it. But there's about 20,000 little stingers protecting that honey. And I've come to know that, that there's sort of a reason for that. Um, that, you know, if we do get it, it's not, you know, you know, it doesn't come without a, you don't, it doesn't come without a price. And we're not supposed to have a lot of it. But I do think honey as a sweetener can be fine, but it's absolutely one of the sweeteners you take in moderation. And as a medicine, it's very, very powerful as well. But I think that the problem with our culture is we've overshot the sugar runway and we are so addicted to the sweet taste that some of it, like sort of wheat's the same way. We've overshot the wheat runway. And I think we need to stop eating wheat for a while to desensitize ourselves to wheat as a sugar, to desensitize ourselves as to the sweet taste so we actually don't have such a, uh, a damaging high sugar response to whether it be sugar or fructose or honey. Um, but that said, I think honey actually, you know, in moderation is, and again, and, and the big question, the big, the big question is, if you have really good stable blood sugar, morning numbers below 85 milligrams per deciliter, uh, A1C test under 5.2, then yeah, a little sweet here and there, I don't think it's a big deal as long as it's part of a meal. But if your numbers are pre-diabetic, like more than a, you know, a third of the American population, you, you got to break the, 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 you have to desensitize our crazy brain to need sweet to be satisfied. Does that make sense? Perfect. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Thanks for the call. Oh, <laughs> you betcha. Thanks. Uh, all righty. So I'm going to ask a couple of, where, this one? Uh, one more caller here from nowhere. Must be Colorado, 720. Are you there? I'm here, Dr. B. Hey, great. Hi, thanks for seeing me on there. Um, real quick question. Um, I have endometriosis, and um, my doctor has me on the birth control pill. Uh -huh. Is that, can you take the shots of Ari on the birth control pill? Um, I, you know, if you're going to be on the birth control pill, I wouldn't take it until I was thinking about getting off of it. In other words, okay. if, you're, if you were starting to think, okay, I'm going to get off of it, I need to have something to replace it and move my, you know, that's when I would look at you doing it, but not now. Okay. Yeah, because if I go off the birth control pill, I have to run the risk of developing more scar tissue. Uh-huh, right. So it's kind of like, and I didn't want to do both at the same time because same I thought one would contradict the other. Well, you want to look at, you know, the, with endometriosis, you want to look at not only, you know, I think from a hormonal perspective, you got it covered, but from a, from a lymphatic draining the reproductive system perspective, there's issues there. Like the reproductive system drains, drains the, the uterus. And if prior, I wrote an article about this called, it might not be hormonal. So part you know, you're treating it hormonally, but it might not be hormonal. And read that article because it talks about how the lymphatic system drains the reproductive system. And a lot of times prior to menstru menstruation, women tend to have swollen breasts or tender breasts or, or bloat or swell or breakout or things like that, or symptoms get worse. And that's because there's an internal lymphatic detox that takes place prior to the cycle as an internal pre-menstrual detox. And if that lymph system is congested, it can back up that lymph into the reproductive system, causing either fibroid tumors or you know, irritated or inflamed tissue in the, in, the, uh, in the uterus itself. 
So sometimes it might not be only hormonal and you can actually look at doing some things um, as a result, you know, do some things naturally to help get the uterus to drain better, therefore get nutrition in better and turn the cells over better in a more efficient manner. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, basically, I guess, um, I had a consultation with you and um, the Tesfari was recommended back then, but I was basically going to do the rest of the cleanse for the lymph part of it. Yeah. Because it's not that. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, well, that, that's kind of what I was doing, but I just didn't want to leave something out and not know if I was doing the right thing. Yeah, I would definitely do that part of it for sure. Okay, well, great. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for the call. Have a great day. You too. All right. Um, One more. I just muted myself. That's a call, right? All right. Um, let's see. Coming all through. Okay, a couple more questions. Thanks for staying with us a little bit longer. We have a little bit more time, and I know we went late tonight. So if you guys have to go, please do. Um, and uh, I'll hand sound for a couple more questions. I know people want to get their questions answered, so I'll do my best. Uh, I have low blood pressure. Consequently, my MD said I should eat something right away when I wake up in the morning. I don't like uh, to eat that early, so I have black tea with milk and honey. I'd like to replace that with a healthy beverage to get started. Um, well, I think I just gave that answer. I don't know if it was to her or not, but I mean, you know, some of the rooibos tea or or some of the other herbal teas with um, with uh, uh, even a little bit of honey would be would be fine to do that. Uh, a peppermint tea would be, it might be good because it's a little bit more stimulating. That might actually help you. Um, and uh, but I would go. I would look for something in that direction. And even black tea in the morning. But I wouldn't do that alone. I would like to do that with some type of food. So the so the tea is part of a meal, not just uh, not just the tea. Um, I have a, uh, do you have a questionnaire to ask to, to assess energy levels? Um, no, we don't have, we don't have one. Um, we don't have one to, uh, to assess energy levels. Uh, we do have one that talks about lifestyle that we just put up. That's kind of cool. That's sort of like that. It sort of assesses your, your, it's a stress questionnaire to see how stressed out you are. So you can check that out and go to our, our questionnaires on our, on our website. Um, uh, what about cardio exercise when you have adrenal fatigue? If you breathe through your nose, which I talk about all that research about that, then you are not breaking your body down to build yourself up. One of the best ways to get yourself rejuvenated is to breathe through your nose. Let the nasal breathing comfort be the determining factor of how much exercise is good and how much more is harmful, right? So if you have to huff and puff, you're in an emergency response and that's probably gonna exhaust you. But if you breathe through your nose, you can't push yourself that hard. So long, slow, deep breaths in and out through your nose as the, as the governor regulator monitor of how much is good and how much is bad. Check out all the articles and the research on my website for more on that question, but that's a great question. Um, I've, been fa I've been a vegetarian for 40 years, uh, now 65, uh, very young looking and healthy, but tired easily, should I be eating fish and meat? <clears throat> good question. Um, uh, you, you, in the winter time, it is very important to get more protein. How you get that protein is an individual uh, decision. 
but you do need more protein and more fat in the winter into the point where you could eat meat in some of the meat in the winter <clears throat> and even have none in the spring and the summer because that's how you know how we are sort of de designed to function is to get really get really really get those those requirements of protein and fat in in the winter a lot of folks who are vegetarians um, um, oftentimes aren't doing a great job of it and they actually do need higher quality protein to rebuild the reserves. So, you know, one of the tech, I wrote an article called, are you protein deficient? And the meats are more acidic and the animal, the vegetable proteins are more alkaline. So they're proteins, but the animal proteins like red meat, believe it or not, is the most acidic. And even in Ayurveda, it's a medicine, not a food, but a medicine. So if you were really super depleted, you would take red meat four ounces a day at lunch for two weeks to rebuild your protein reserves. And I've seen just so many miracles and, and incredible benefits from that recommendation. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a vegetarian. I think that you can be a healthy vegetarian, but if, if you are deficient in protein and your blood sugar is going wacky and you're craving a bunch of stuff and you're feeling tired all day long, you might need those higher quality proteins to pay back the reserve debt which is destabilizing your blood sugar, making you up and down, up and down, roller coaster ride exhausted. So read that article about the protein deficiency. It might be a, a way to go for you if you're not against having a little bit of meat or you fit the, the, the requirements in that article for adrenal fatigue because that can be a, a vegetarian-based blood sugar issue that's causing the fatigue, not the fact that you're vegetarian. That's not causing it. You can be a very healthy, very successful vegetarian. Um, um, uh, rebound exercise like jumping on a trampoline is safe for adrenal fatigue. Yeah, as long as you breathe through your nose, it's great because it gets the lymph to move. It's great. Uh, what do I do to resolve chronic insomnia lifelong? Read and watch. I did a podcast on insomnia recently and go back and watch that. Everything I know is about insomnia is on there. So please go check that out. Uh, is making tea out of the five spices just as good as taking the capsule? I wouldn't make the tea out of the five spices that we talked about, ginger, coriander, cumin, fennel, and cardamom. I think that's five. Um, but I would make the powder and then just take the powder directly. Um, um, yeah, you could probably mix it in a little bit of warm water and just shoot it down. Um, but And I guess you could make it out of a tea. That would just be sort of... If you like it, it'd be great. I just couldn't imagine having that be the whole meal, every meal, because it would just be like Indian food at every meal. Um, and that could be hard to swallow. But um, for sure, just taking the spices that way with, it is just as good as with the capsule. For sure, you might get a little more with the capsule and make it's a little bit user more user-friendly, but uh, a great thing to do. Uh, can you speak about how alcohol affects exhaustion? Well, you know, Anytime you're craving something, whether it be alcohol, a glass of wine, you're doing it because your body is needing something to feel satisfied. During the day, we want sugar. In the afternoon or evening, we want alcohol. The sugar gives us energy. Then we're so wired, we're overstimulated. We don't have the energy to sedate ourselves and be calm. So then we want alcohol to sedate ourselves to be calm. You know what I mean? So we're craving alcohol fundamentally for the same reason we crave sugar, which is exhaustion. But, we're, but because we're exhausted, we are wired for sound, we can't sleep, we're anxious, and we want the alcohol to sedate us. But that all comes from a deep level of exhaustion. So yeah, we want to treat and rebuild and pay back the debt of the nervous system. And there's a, you know, an Ayurvedic psychology piece to this, an emotional piece to this. We, we, we obviously didn't 
have a chance to talk about, but should be mentioned. Um, I ordered ashwagandha from your website, but I discontinued taking it because I was sensitive to nightshades. Any comments or recommendations? Um, you know, a lot of folks are sensitive to nightshades and they do ashwagandha, no problem. So I don't know if I would, I would, I would, so many things are nightshades that probably people eat that are sensitive to nightshades that they don't like Golgi berries or nightshades. Um, people eat them and they're, and they're fine with them. Um, I would, um, you know, suggest to, if you have it before you, don't use it. If, it. if you did have a problem with it, then of course, stop taking it, but give it a whirl. And uh, because a lot of times nightshades are, are not all created equal, actually, like foods are, you know, have create problems. Give it a whirl. But, but if you're looking for something else to rebuild and pay back the exhaustive death, then I would look for an herb like Brahmi. Our Brahmi brain is a great herb for pays back exhaustive death. Um, that's another great herb for you to think about. Having, uh, or the, well, the Regenerate has ashwagandha in it too. Um, having to do with eating with the seasons, what about green smoothies, cold and raw, and the winter green smoothies are healthy? Uh, are healthy? Um, are they healthy in the winter? Well, um, you know, if you could warm up your green smoothie in the winter and have it as part of a meal, not the meal, I'd be more inclined to like it. Um, you know, drinking cold things in the winter and raw things in the winter isn't really wintry. Um, but if you do beets and carrots and winter vegetables, you know, or, or, in, or you have more, you know, cooked vegetables, I'm going to be okay with that. Um, but, or at the very least warm those things up and have them warmer would be better, but I'm still a fan of having, uh, food for meals. And if you want a little, um, if you want a little bit of a green smoothie with it for the micronutrient benefit, then that can be, that can be fine. My doctor asked me on natural progesterone and testosterone creams for adrenal fatigue. Should I not be taking them? Are they causing more harm than good? No, exactly what I said um, is that that's exactly what your you, what the adrenals do is they borrow your progesterone and they borrow your testosterone. So your doctor is right on giving you progesterone and testosterone for your adrenal fatigue, but it's not really re resolving the problem. It's just paying back the debt in reproduction for those systems. So your, your adrenals have more money to borrow from or, you know, a, a new bank account. But you really want to also look at, you know, things we talked about in the lecture. How do I pay back the debt? How do I really rebuild my nervous system so I don't have to keep, you know, just filling up the gas tank that keeps getting emptied because we're actually, you know, burning the wrong fuel. Please explain how to eat with the seasons when climate is almost the same year round. Um, in America, in the 52 states, even in Hawaii, there are growing seasons. And here's an interesting thing about my book, The Three Season Diet. In the back of that book, there's, a, uh, uh, there's an appendix about, I took as many of the foods as I could, and I talked about when they were harvested, where they were harvested, what time of the year, and their ultimate purpose on the planet. And a lot of the things that we get harvested today in California, we are, that's not stuff that was originally harvested there. That's stuff that was hybridized to be harvested when we want them to be hybridized and grid harvested. And they're nothing to do with the original food harvested at the original time. And a lot of the Ayurvedic diets, which my book really represents the Ayurvedic grocery lists, which are based on the seasonal harvest. Some of those, you guys say, well, this food like strawberries are harvested, I think, uh, or, or strawberries are harvested, I forget now, um, like, you know, uh, in the summer only. And we have them as like a winter food. 
But traditionally, when they were originally harvested, you find they were harvested in the late fall for winter eating. So we've hybridized stuff so much that we don't actually even really know what was real. So when you look at the diets, you know, that's kind of the cool part is we're really, really striking us back to, you know, way before, you know, what the farmers are doing, but when the, before the farmers even hybridized things. And I did a lot of research with the, for that book to kind of find that information out because that was really interesting to me. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, very, very important. And, and I can talk more and more about that. But the idea is that in all these areas around America, there are different growing seasons that are clear and distinct. And we might think about them, even in Florida, that the temperature changes are huge from winter to summer, we, you know, all, although it's just generally warmer, but there's big differences. And folks that live there know those differences. And there's definitely traditional foods were harvested in different seasons in those regions for sure. And that's sort of what we're trying to accomplish. And, and, the, and the bottom line is the, the grocery lists have been proven by the Ayurvedic doctors who we worked with on them to uh, work for all the seasons in all the places in America. Um, if a woman eats organic but works in a high-stress hospital, low thyroid, and subsequently has infertility, what can be done for that support? Um, well, organic is good. Um, you know, the high stress diet is oftentimes due to the fact that you have a low thyroid and you might not have the energy that you need to, to feel safe enough to, to create the nesting experience that you need to create to be fertile, to have a baby. And for some odd reason, I have a lot of infertility patients over the years. And, um, and that's because I think I have a lot of 42 year old women out there with babies. Uh, and all I really do with them, I don't consider myself a fertility expert by any means, but I, I look at their stress levels. And we know Ayurvedically that you can't have a baby if the body's feeling like it's being chased by a bear. And we got to convince the body the war's over. So we got to somehow figure out a way to pay back the debt, rebuild your reserves, get your thyroid back on track, and you can give it to your nervous system and therefore your reproduction, which are so intimately connected that the war is over. And that we can pay back the debt for the progesterone and the testosterone, so the adrenals aren't borrowing money from those 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 vital, uh, you know, reproductive organs for making the hormones that you need. So that's how I would do it. How and I would look at all the herbs we talked about today to make that happen. Shots of Ari, as an Ojas builder, ashwagandha, regenerate, all important herbs. Uh, when I drink warm water sips. I feel more thirsty when my mouth gets really dry. What is that? That's because you're actually, it's very common in the beginning when you drink hot water, sip hot water, you get more thirsty, which means you need more hot water. That You're really you're beginning to see the need for your own hydration. So that's important um, as well. And then uh, last question, can Hashimoto's be caused by fatigue and stress? Can it be reversed? Hashimoto's is not that big of a deal. Yes, it can be caused by stress for sure. It can be, I mean, I think that's the, probably the ultimate cause of fatigue and, you know, maybe stress causes the fatigue and then the Hashimoto's, which is a, uh, is a, when, when the thyroid begins to turn on itself. And oftentimes when you bring the thyroid back into balance, the, the, the antibodies settle down and Hashimoto seems to go into remission. And that's not typically an impossible thing to have happen, but you got to work along with your medical doctor to make sure that we're out of harm's way in that regard as well. All right, everyone, thank you all for listening. Thanks for joining us on the fatigue. Sorry for this uh, technical difficulty we had earlier on, um, but hope you guys can check out the video 
uh, when we post that uh, tomorrow. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.